0: Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. So on this podcast, we talk about a lot of interesting and important problems that we want to solve. We as sure humans. try to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we also talk about uh, how to build good models to solve those problems. But building a good model and solving an important problem aren't necessarily the same thing.
1: Oh, my gosh. I was just thinking the exact thing. A few minutes ago when you and I were what talking about What a coincidence. Episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you're totally right. And um, as data scientists, we spend most of our days building models, but like what we're really trying to do is solve problems. So I think it's worth thinking about the relationship between those two things.
0: All right. You are listening to Linear Digressions.
1: So let's start this episode by going back in time a little bit, and I'm going to put on my data scientist hat and say, what was I thinking about when I was learning data science? So I was learning about what different algorithms were and how they worked. I was learning about how to write code that worked and then eventually how to write code that worked well and then code that worked well and was easy to maintain and all these nice things. Mm -hmm. And I was also thinking about how I measured the quality of my models. So the whole point of building all of these models was to predict things more accurately. And so I would spend a lot of time thinking about how good my models were. And so for that, I would use, uh, there are like a few fairly standard machine learning metrics, although um, they're by no means the only way to measure uh, model quality.
0: We did an episode on the uh area under the curve or the ROC curve.
1: Yeah, so that's one of the most uh popular ones and and, and maybe that's a decent one to start with. So I'll mm. just give a quick recap of that for folks if if you're if you don't have a data science background and this is this is new to you. So ROC is actually an acronym. It stands for I think receiver operator characteristic or receiver operator curve or something. And it's a way of describing the output that you get from your model, and, and it has a direct relationship from with the accuracy of your model. So usually when you're doing something like a supervised classification problem, so you're trying to decide if things are in class one or class zero, let's say, binary, uh, then the models will generally not give you a zero or a one just as the raw output, but instead they'll give you some number between zero and one, where the closer the number is to one, the more likely or the more certain you are that it's from class one. Closer the output is to zero, the closer the more you think is from class zero. But it's kind of up to you as a data scientist or potentially somebody who's working with a data scientist to figure out where the cutoff should be. So without getting too much into the intricacies right now of how you decide where to put that cutoff, where to put that threshold. Uh, the idea is the rock curve gives you a, a quantitative measure for any threshold that you could pick. Uh, it The rock curve kind of captures how good the model is at that point, all in one simple metric. So you don't have to marry yourself to a specific use case or anything. You can just say, in general, here's how good my model is. And uh, uh, the area under the curve is usually... It takes on a value between 0. 0.5 and 1, where the closer, if it's at 0. 0.5, then your model's effectively just randomly guessing. And if it's at 1, then your model is perfect, and you always get your predictions correct. And then for the range in between, like, the higher it is, the better the model it is, the lower it is, the worse the model it is. It's just, like, kind of right. monotonically okay. increasing. Yeah.
0: So it's saying, like, as as you move the the cutoff, this is the interplay between the false positive and the true positive rate. And the more that... So, like, I'm looking at an image here, right? And you've got your little graph here, and then you've got a line that starts at 0, zero and it goes up diagonally. Um, and the curve, uh, if it's a good curve, is going to be uh, kind of up and to the left, bulging up and to the left from that horizontal... or Sorry, from that diagonal line. And the more it's bulging the better your model is, um, I'll say, kind of tentatively.
1: Yeah, no, that's right. And the more it's bulging, moreover, like if you were to shade in the area under that curve, like the more it bulges out, the more area you would capture underneath it, which is why area under the curve is like a pretty good all-purpose metric.
0: Yeah, I love calculus.
1: <laughs> cool. So that's area under the curve. But the thing that I think is worthwhile to remember but that sometimes gets lost in discussions of AUC, is that AUC punts on a very important issue, which is where do you put that threshold? We glossed over it a little bit before, but now we have to confront it head on. If you are going to use a model, if you're gonna use a set of predictions to help someone make decisions, then you have to decide what kinds of mistakes you want the model to make, because it's going to make mistakes. And the question is, would you rather have zeros get classified as ones or ones get classified as zeros?
0: Ah uh, right. This makes me think of like this makes me think of Uber's self-driving car initiative where they I guess they incurred uh they, they took on more risk by reducing the frequency of braking events, making a smoother ride, but then that obviously leads to more accidents.
1: Yeah, that's that's actually a really good real purpose example, because when I describe it as zeros or ones, that's awfully, that's awfully abstract, but.
0: Right. Yeah. Because if you're a self-driving car, well, actually, uh, even as a human, right, you're driving along and you think you see something, right. And it takes you a second to gather a little bit more data, maybe move your eyeballs in that direction and, and maybe, you know, do a little bit of identification, all in a fraction of a second to to decide whether this is what you think it might be. Maybe it's an animal, maybe it's a cardboard box. You're going pretty fast, so it takes you some time to figure that out. At a moment in time, though, at an instant in time, you could say that you have some probability, right? You think like, oh, I'm I'm 50% sure that that's something I don't want to hit. Versus a tumbleweed or something, right? Uh, and computers have the same thing. They are not seeing a tumbleweed or seeing a box. They are seeing a thing. Uh, they're they're seeing some pixels on their on their input device, and they have to assign a probability of what they whether they think it's something that they need to address in this way or that way. And so that's kind of how you get a situation where you could move the cutoff a little bit more to the right, and you get let's say, more braking events, and you end up with a bumpier ride, but you hit far fewer things. Or you could move that threshold over to the left, and now you don't brake as often. Maybe you wait for a little bit more data before you brake, but that means that you're a little more dangerous on the road, to use the Uber example.
1: Yeah, so let me give another example that might be a little bit more intuitive for folks because self-driving cars are still... I don't know. Most of us haven't haven't ridden. They're in them, almost right? here. <laughs> they're, they're almost just they They're just five years away. Um, always five years away. Always five years <laughs> away. So
0: a f- flying car is at twenty.
1: <laughs> if you say so. Yeah. Uh, I don't think my dog would like that very much. Okay. But, flying like, cars. Yeah. But let's suppose you go to the. Let's suppose you go to the doctor, and you're going to okay. get some kind of medical test. Let's say you felt kind of lousy recently. Your doctor wants to run a test, and let's say it's a test for, um, I don't know some kind of really bad disease, let's say it's cancer. Um, But, you know, one of the things is that there's, while there's unfortunately many, many people who have cancer, uh, still the vast majority of, of people do not at any given point. And so let's say you're the data scientist who's in charge of understanding the model or tuning the model that is behind the cancer test based on some kind of blood sample or something, uh, you put it into a machine learning algorithm, and that spits back some kind of probability. That's a case where saying that you're 50% sure that this person has cancer, like 51% might not be the right place to put that threshold. But there's there's mm. actually all kinds of interesting questions about whether it should be higher or lower. Like on the one hand, if you're waiting for something like 90% certainty for someone to have to be sure that someone has cancer before you flag it for them, then that means that you're probably going to miss a lot of people who have some of the subtler signs or are earlier stage because you're saying like, I need very, very strong evidence that you have this disease before I'm going to alert you to that. On the other hand, if I say I only need 10% certainty that you have cancer, uh, well, there's a whole lot of people who might be taking this test Uh, Most of them don't have cancer. And so that means that if there's only a 10% chance, then let's say it's a well-calibrated model, that means 90% of the time that your test flags you as having cancer, it's actually a false positive. Um, It's a false Mm -hmm. alarm. Then that means that the test is actually going to be – that's going to be really disruptive to a whole lot of people, and people aren't going to trust that result as much because they know that the chance of it being – a false alarm is so high or conversely if they do trust it but they end up not having cancer like that's also a bad user experience because they're probably Sometimes pretty stressed releases. out it yeah they're
0: probably pretty stressed yeah. out
1: about that and, they, and also, they shouldn't be there are only so many doctors
0: so you know there's this balancing act that the healthcare industry has to do um around how do you treat the people who actually have the diseases while also catching the people who might have the diseases who actually do. But if you if you pull everyone in because of this this test that's spitting out a lot of false positives, then um, you're going to have fewer resources to treat the people who do have the issue.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. There's a lot of second-order effects here that um, that yeah. could come from, based on how you make this decision about tuning your wow. model.
0: One little decision. Okay.
1: Right. Well, so, and we've just gone from this notion of AUC, where comparing one model to another was very, or knowing how good a a single model was, I was very clean and orderly with AUC. Like if it has a AUC of 0.9, that's better than if it has an AUC of 0.8, and that's better than if it has an AUC of 0.7. But now we're we're getting into the messy, all the messiness of trying to interface our model with the real world. So now there is a problem Mm. that we're trying to solve, which is better cancer outcomes, let's say, or let's not even get to better cancer outcomes yet, because we haven't gotten there. Let's just say we're trying to predict cancer. Um, okay. And we're leaving aside for a moment whether anything in the world is practically speaking better because we can see around that corner. We're just trying to predict it. Now we have to make an actual hard decision about how we're going to be using this model and you know how much certainty we need to have from the model in order to respond to it in certain ways and that pulls in what you might call like business context although in this in this context it might be more like medical medical context that a data scientist that's not what you that's not a thing that i learned in data science class generally or that i spent a whole lot of time thinking about
0: right okay so you need that extra context because of kind of how we open this episode saying that you have a metric to figure out if you're building a good model but you don't necessarily have what you need just with rock curves or, or whatever to know whether you're solving a problem.
1: Right. And so the reason that I think that this is just worth mentioning explicitly is that, um, again, data science educations, classically speaking, don't always prepare you super well to be thinking about it on this level. And that that's not necessarily inappropriate because this is so exactly how a model should be used to solve a given, answer a certain question is so context dependent there. For every situation, you have to really just understand what kinds of mistakes your model can make and how costly those are.
0: Well, I have to ask you then, um, so knowing how to solve any particular problem in any particular context, like that's not something that you can necessarily learn in school. You need to gain a lot of context and experience. You need to uh, know the context of your particular situation maybe consult with other people who are involved but it seems like an important thing at least to talk about right not like here's the solution for the rest of your career for this particular issue but but covering that this is an incredibly important part of it oh, like, yeah. did, did you find that in your education that um, that that came up very often or was it a little bit too kind of focused just on metrics outside of the context of how these things might be applicable?
1: I mean, I think you get the best education on this one. This is this is like street smarts. This isn't really book smarts. <laughs> it's street smarts. <laughs> um, you know, so the, the education that I've had on it, you know, by far, it, it skews much more towards uh, kind of the practical where you're sitting here with a model and you're like, okay, now what do I do with this? And there's one other thing that I would add, and and now we're taking a step that's even further away from data science proper, uh, which is that answering a question, which is what a machine learning algorithm is pretty, they're usually pretty good at answering questions. That's what they're designed to do is answer questions. Is this a one or is it a zero? But answering a question and solving a problem are also not exactly the same thing. I mean, sometimes they are. Sometimes it's it's very orderly and there's a very direct relationship like being able to predict whether this person has cancer or not uh, has extremely direct and, and straightforward implications for uh, our ability to treat that cancer and then our ability to treat it, let's say, catching it early and treating it. Increases the the survival rate or minimizes the chances of adverse events or whatever all these bad things. But the thing that we're actually trying to do is like save people's lives if they're sick. So if you are a data scientist and you can answer a question more accurately, but there's no way that that accurate prediction or there there isn't a channel by which it turns into better outcomes, it's not it's not that you're doing a bad job or anything because I think that that puts a little mm. little too much pressure on data scientists. But it's possible to predict something that doesn't actually make any difference in the world if you happen to know it. And that is also a level of introspection that is worth taking upon yourself and and thinking about.
0: Okay, so I I think I get what you're saying, but it doesn't feel like it hasn't quite fully landed for me.
1: Yeah. Let me give you an example. Okay. uh, And this is this is coming from a paper that I just read recently. Um, it's I'll, We'll put a link in uh, lineardigressions.com. It's called uh, Hidden Stratification Causes Clinically Meaningful Failures in Machine Learning for Medical Imaging. So this is a little bit of a special use case, okay. but this is a case in which we have a, let's say, some kind of computer vision-based algorithm that's trying to diagnose different kinds of cancers. That's actually the Example that they are looking at here, if I'm not mistaken. As an aside, let me just mention the the authors of this. So, this is uh, Luke Oakden Rayner, Gustavo Carnero um, at University of Adelaide, and uh, Jared Dunman and Christopher Wray at Stanford. So, uh, trying to use machine learning to solve this kind of medical prediction problem. And so, what's the point of using machine learning to solve some medical prediction problem? Well, let's say that. You're going to use this algorithm to make predictions about whether people have certain diseases and then treat people with those diseases. And your your hope is that overall, if you have enough accuracy in the predictions that you make, that generally people will live longer, healthier lives in a world in which this algorithm is running, right? Right. Maybe that's your goal. Okay. I see. Right. So... The thing that we can do as data scientists is we can predict stuff better, but the outcome uh, to which our our model is just like kind of an input is longer, healthier lives. And so in this particular case, what they found, they did a study of uh, what they call hidden stratification. So that's the idea that let's say I'm trying to look at chest x-rays and using it to diagnose lung cancer. There's all these different kinds of lung cancers, and some of them might be easy to find with machine learning techniques and some of them might not be for all kinds of reasons. Imbalanced class problems, data quality issues, batch effects, some of them might just be like harder to see than other ones. Like I could imagine there are certain kinds of cancers that have a very distinctive like pattern when you look at them in pictures. Other ones are a little bit a little bit harder to distinguish from like normal images, whatever. And so depending on what kind of cancer you have, which we don't necessarily know at the time we're trying to make this diagnosis. My algorithm could have pretty good accuracy because it's a common form of cancer that's really easy to, to visualize and to spot. Or it might have really bad accuracy because it's a rare form of cancer. It's blurs or blends in with or looks normal in, in other ways. So then uh, I'm going to get it wrong more likely than not with with those other kinds of cancers. And let's imagine that, moreover, uh, the kind of cancer that I'm bad at diagnosing, let's say it's only 10% of the population, but it's a particularly nasty kind of cancer. And it's one that's really damaging if we miss it early. And so what that means is that if I'm relying on my algorithm before i know what kind of cancer you have which of course i don't know at the time that you're you're we're trying to diagnose you then if you are unlucky enough to have that worst form of cancer you are going to be disproportionately poorly impacted by my algorithm perhaps in a way that oh. like kind of destroys a lot of the value that maybe i'm i'm getting from having my algorithm running on other patients
0: i see interesting so so I guess what you're saying is you're training your model in a particular context. That context is just by necessity has to be some sort of a reduction of this messy, complex, crazy world that we live in. And so your model can be really, really good within this, you know, scoped down environment that you're testing it in. But when you look at the the big picture, maybe the thousand foot view and then the 10,000 foot view and then the the 50,000 foot view, there may be other elements that your model just cannot, like not only doesn't, but cannot possibly take into account. And so as a result, your model might actually have a a worse impact than you think it does uh, for reasons that you don't include when you're building it. And in fact, might even end up being a net negative if you get super unlucky.
1: Yeah. I mean, even more concretely, to I think there's a pretty close analogy to something that's much more intuitive, which like, imagine that you have a medication that in 90% mm, of the patients yeah. improves their, let's say it makes them on average live for uh, one year longer. And then for every 10th patient, it makes them live 20 years shorter. <laughs> like... Arguably, yeah, yeah. Um, and and if you're doing something like you you very simply kind of look at that and you're like, oh well, it's you know 90 percent good outcomes. Like that's actually that sounds pretty good to me, but because it's so disproportionately damaging to that minority class for whatever reason, then that's actually something that, depending on what your overall goal is, you might end up coming behind. So that it's roughly the machine learning analogy of that, that it's not just about the mistakes you make, but kind of how expensive they are. And uh, especially okay. especially with stuff like algorithms that really affect people. So stuff like medical diagnostics or like recidivism algorithms, like these ones that decide whether to let people out of jail or not, stuff about whether uh, to grant loans, like things that really impact people's lives in big ways. You know, getting it wrong either way can just be so damaging and so upsetting for the people who are involved that it's worth being just very, very cognizant of that. And even if your algorithm is like mostly doing a pretty good job, understanding and really introspecting the places where it's not doing a good job can be really important to make sure that your algorithm just doesn't end up disadvantaging groups that are already having a tough time for some reason or another. So... Um, Again, another reason why thinking big picture and like, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? And then how is this algorithm going to hopefully help us solve it? Those are not exactly the same thing. And data scientists need to work with people who understand the problem context a whole heck of a lot to make sure that the code that they're writing and the algorithm that they have out there is as well tuned and thoughtful as possible.
0: Right. Yeah. This, this all actually, I can't help but think that this is a super generalizable idea, right? Like definitely in software, like you can optimize your metrics that you think kind of represent the problem that you're trying to solve, but they're never going to fully represent that problem you're you're, you're trying to solve. And so optimizing towards your metrics and forgetting about the bigger picture certainly doesn't do you any favors. But yeah, it's kind of a good life philosophy, too. Like, always keep the big picture in mind. Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content, too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are Ben at LinearDigressions.com and Katie at LinearDigressions.com. In case you have comments or suggestions for future shows, you can tweet us at LinDigressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.